everybody. This is MG. And I'm Elizabeth Pudwell, and we are Sober Sisters Talk. And um, this is a podcast for anyone that wants to be sober or get sober or is sober. And what MG and I really want to do um, for you, our listener, is to you know, give you the um, experience that we have in taking this thing out on the road. You know, it's really easy to stay sober in a meeting, um, but it's a lot more challenging at work or in relationships or family stuff. And um, that's what we want to do. And we were just sitting here talking to a third party who's not in our program, but is experiencing some drama and chaos not in her life, but in the lives of others around her. Mm-hmm. And we were getting on the subject of how to help somebody. And we were specifically talking about a suicidal alcoholic that is in the midst of their drama, which means they've attempted suicide, they, ha- they're, they were drunk, they have no desire to get help, to do anything except in their own life. And, you know, there's a mother involved and brothers and everybody has a couple of ideas on what to do it. And I think this kind of fits in well with our last podcast it does. around when we had our dear friend Lisa here talking about like she was a big old Al-Anon. And so we were talking about like how to help. How do we help somebody? And I can remember... I went to this, when I was in New York, I spent like about a year being very active in Al-Anon, and they, Al-Anon has really kind of changed a little little bit in the last, I would say, five years, that they are very hardcore, at least they were in New York, and there was this whole like handout about, um, you know, how to be recovered in the program, like thing, like to do, things to do. And one of the things was, I cannot help someone unless they ask me. So, for example, at work, a woman came in the other day and she said, the printer's not working. And that was not a question. And she wasn't asking me for help. But me being a big old Al-Anon, I wanted to jump up and say, oh, let me fix it. But, you know, as an Al-Anon, I had to ask clarity questions like, would you like me to see if I can fix it? That's what I can do in recovery. And she said, yes, please, will you do that? I'm like, sure, I'll be happy to do that. But I have to wait to be asked until I can take that action. Now, there were some hardcore people that if that woman had come to me and said that, they would have responded like, wow, thank you for that information and like full stop and put the onus on them and not said are you asking me to help right Mm -hmm. but I know that's what she wants so I'm gonna fucking do it you know I'm not (laughs) we're not at an Alan on me (laughs) no I'm not that I'm not that recovered or whatever because you know part of my job is to help out with those kinds of things so if I wasn't there they would have figured out a different way but I was and they just you know came and spoke words to my head. So the first thing is that I can't give anybody help unless they ask for it. And if they ask for it, then I have to decide whether or not I want to do it. Or what is it appropriate? Or what is the kind of help that they want? Or do they even know? Because I know a lot of people are not clear. Like, so what do you, what kind of help do you need? But I wanted to go 
back a little bit and and talk about um, getting help and the whole concept of help in 12-step programs because the first word of the first step is we and you can't do anything in 12-step programs alone and I think for me like this was a big deterrent I didn't want to ask anybody for help I didn't need help I didn't want to need help but it and I knew a long time before I actually got to AA, which is my first program, that I needed help. You know, I mean, my drinking was out of control. Uh, I, I only drank to black out. I couldn't control it. So I knew I needed help deep down inside, but I did not want to admit that. And I definitely did not want to ask anybody for help. Um, but. I rear-ended an 18-wheeler and I got, I hurt somebody and I got arrested and I went to jail and I had this probation sentence in front of me, all because of my drinking and I did need help. Now, were you court-ordered to go to meetings? No. I was court-ordered to go to classes and they were, they were a joke. I was sitting there like in these in a in a room with a bunch of people on probation and they were all talking about like oh I used last night and I need some of that stuff in order to go do a pee test and yeah it was it was bad it was just like being on probation in probation with them and I was just like I know I need something different than this and that's when I actually sought out the rooms because I was like I don't have any friends that don't drink and that was my my actual thought is that I need friends that don't drink on purpose. Right. They call it playmates and playpens. You know, you have to change all that. Do you remember your first meeting? I do. It was at the Post Oak Club, and they were talking on Step 12. They've moved, by the way. I'll have I know. To give the yeah. Thing. No, I've seen it. It's at that mall. No, they've moved from there. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Do. Okay. So, yes, I do. They. It was on the 12th step, and I was sitting right in the front, and I knew the guy was going to call on me the whole time. And you know how your first meeting, you just want to, like, be invisible. Please don't let anybody yes. look at me. Why is everybody looking but at me? But he kept looking at so me. Happy? I knew he was going to call on me, and I started crying. I was like, "I I can't help anybody. I don't need. I don't. I don't have anything to give anybody." And what you're talking about, like, I don't have that to give. I said, "I only need help." That's you know, this is where I'm at. I haven't worked any steps. I don't have a sponsor. I don't know how to help anybody in this. I just need help, and I feel really, you know. It doesn't feel good to be in that position. I don't feel like, you know, I have anything to offer anybody. And I just sobbed the whole time. <laughs> you know. But now being on the other side, you know, those of us who are in, you know, any sort of 12-step recovery meeting, when we have a newcomer, it's just like a banner day. We get all giddy. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Someone that needs my help. <laughs> like wringing our hands in delightful glee that you know that there's a newcomer around because that is where we want to carry the message and for those of you who are out there who are struggling or thinking about getting into the rooms just have courage just put one foot in front of the other and as miserable as you are I'm just going to tell you that in my experience for everyone that has shared that has been in the program that when they go to that first meeting that the relief is amazing that the outreach is so beautiful and that there you may still feel miserable and hopeless and all those other things but hopefully you'll see a little bit of hope there's a tiny glimmer yeah a tiny and you know mg i'll tell you too though for me 
it didn't get any easier. Like once I, you know, got sober and I was, I don't know, I had four years in, in AA and knew I needed to go to SLAA and it was not any easier. I went and then skipped a whole year before I did my second meeting because I was going to try and do it myself. Sure. I could just do this myself. I'm just going to, I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to. Drink beer. Fill in the blank, <laughs> you know. I'm going to work the, the, the AA steps on my sex and love addiction, on my, you know. Yeah. 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 yeah so, yeah, yeah. and a year I later, agree. I was back. I agree. And it wasn't easier. It was harder, yeah. you yeah. know. I was like, I'm, I don't have anything in common with these women. They were laughing, and I was like, well, I don't know what's so funny. This stuff isn't funny, you know. They're not funny. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> oh, my God. And for me... I feel like, you know, I got sober in AA and I feel like the the desire to drink was just removed from me. I've just, except rarely, there was a time in New York, it was a rooftop and it was a summer and there was some beer and I was like, oh my God, that beer smells delicious. Wouldn't it be fun to be with all these cool people? It was at the Pennington and uh, all these cool people drinking beer, which they shouldn't have been, but they were. And, uh, and that was like the only time that I've really sort of like thought myself through it but with SLAA I couldn't give it up I couldn't stop it and that was such a revelation for me and that's what the hopelessness was is because I was like okay I'm, I'm never going to call this guy again you know the next day I'm texting him all the time all the time and if I wasn't thinking about him I was thinking about some other old guy and then before you know it I'm on the internet stalking them it was just you know it, I couldn't stop it and I didn't even know what it was that I had to stop and you know I love an SLAA where it's like our own thoughts you can't think about something for over three seconds right. stop it shut it down and I that's when I realized oh my god this is hardcore that I have to I have to clean up my thoughts it's all up in our brains right so, you know, when we talk about helping somebody, so the only way that I can really help somebody in 12-step recovery is just to share my experience, strength, and hope, just to tell my story. And, and I've got a sponsee right now that's struggling, and she's struggling with issues that I've never dealt with. And I don't know how to help her because I, I've never had a newborn. I've never had, you know, the problems that she has and what she's struggling with. And so I feel like I'm not being of good service to her. But what I can do is I can hear her and I can encourage her and I can send her inspirational emails or texts and I can kind of what they what they call, you know, millennials hold space, you know, to create this sacred space. Right. So that's really what I feel all I can do for her and, and I worry about her and I want her to get better, but I can't send her money or move her out or I can't I can't do any of that well and that's kind of where we are with this whole thing is it's like figuring out you gotta and if you is that the right thing to do for her you know are you you know are you feeding her are you teaching her to fish you know those and it and it really is in this program it always comes back to that you know even if you you know have the money and the finances and the resources to help in that way is that the right way yeah. and each individual case is different everybody's different and everything is you know but 
it's just always a, there's a check-in process around it and checking with your sponsor and talking to someone else and saying like this is what's going on and this is what I want to do is that the right thing right you know right. Uh, I mean it just it's I have a sponsee that um this was a year or two ago she was dating somebody she'd only been on a couple of dates with this guy and she was going to go to this Christmas party with him and then the plan was to go have sex with him after and I remember this it was and he knew that too he knew that too or it was just in her mind okay it was like a thing yeah they were yeah they yeah it was like tonight's the night yes okay they'd been on like three four dates you know if even that yeah And I was like, I, I recommend that. I implore you not to do this. I mean, I was in the, I was in the car. Like, I remember it. I was sitting there, and I was using her first name. We'll say her name, first name is Becky. It's not, but I was like, I Becky. I just implore you not to do this. You know, and just it's a mistake. It is like we see it, it is a not, wreck. We it see. is not going to end the way you want it to. And did she listen to me? Nah, <laughs> she did it and went and created this whole like, you know, avalanche of stuff and pain and angst. And however, um, she is sober now and in a relationship and, you know, thanks me for those conversations in those times. And, um, you know, it's so challenging because it was like, I, I mean, like, I was all like up in it and wanted to be like, I'm coming to your party with you. You know, I'm going to come pick you up and take you home. You know, just like that codependent, you know, but I had to like, let her go and let her go do her, her thing. And it just suffer the consequences. Well, and perhaps in this, and I don't know this for sure, but by you begging her, she understood at least from your perspective, how serious it was. And so she went into that situation knowing that this was not in any way condoned by her sponsor. And then she got to have like another chance to like reevaluate her choices and her decisions. And I feel like in SLAA, we slip so much, I think, because it's not so deadly maybe than like drugs or alcohol but then I think no it's it is as deadly and so for those people who are struggling with substance abuse issues or combining that with like a suicidal ideation you know it it is serious and so you know one of the things that I wanted to share was that I had a friend who I believe should be in the SLAA rooms but isn't and she would, and I would feel like she would use me a little bit, that she would call me every six months to talk about this person that she kept getting involved with. And she would talk with me for like about an hour, and then she would feel better. And then she would go back. Go and do the, yeah, the acting thing out. again. And yeah. so finally I realized that me being such a lovely ear to her and being such a good friend to her was really not helping her. So I set a boundary with her, and I said, I can't talk to you about this person. She went, what? I said, I can't talk to you about this person. She was like, okay. And I'm like, but if you ever want to go to a meeting, I'll go to a meeting with you. She goes, I don't want to go to those meetings. And I'm like, me either. We know. (laughs) (laughs) 
Because it doesn't help. And in a way, right. I'm enabling her because she gets, you know, to listen. She gets some, yeah, she gets some relief. And she gets to process. Right. And, and I remind her how beautiful and wonderful she is, you know. Yes. So I had a sponsee that is very close to my age. And um, she continually, her acting out was married with losing jobs. So she would get a new boyfriend and lose a job, get a new boyfriend and lose a job, get a new boyfriend and lose a job over and over again. Because she would just be so obsessed with this guy, she couldn't work? Because she wanted the guy to rescue her financially. And they were, all of this stuff was, you know, it was, it was a meshed. And I couldn't really figure it out in the beginning. Like, what, why does she keep getting fired? Like, you know, is it tied? And then after the fourth time, I was like, it's tied. I know it is. There is no freaking way that you can keep doing this with the guys and lose your job. And it's not, it isn't, it isn't related. So finally, number five, and I said, I can't do this anymore. I cannot work with you. I it that you losing jobs is stressing me out. I just cannot, and it's not helping you. You keep doing this, and I'm not whatever I'm doing is not helping you. Yeah. So she went away for about a year, and then um, called me back, and um, we started working together. I was actually coaching her, not sponsoring her, and helping her keep her job. And she hadn't had a boyfriend in a really long time, like over a year, and um, she. Um, she just got it, like in a, in the last couple of weeks, couple of months, understood what I was trying to tell her the whole time, and got it. And she was in a review period with this new job. And you can cut this part out if it's too confusing and gaunt, you know. But she got it, and she was in this thirty day probationary period with a job that she got in November. So she's coming up on a year, and um, once we, you know, I said, look, this is what you're doing. You need to do this instead. And she did it, and she got off the probationary period with flying colors. Fantastic. But here's the key, Elizabeth. She asked you for help. She asked me for help. And you were ready, willing, and able to do that work to help her. And did you see within her a deeper willingness to change? Absolutely. Is that one of the reasons why you were And not having the guy, not having a relationship was... You know, she wasn't in a place where she wanted to date or do any dating. She hadn't been drinking. There was no... And so she was clean, and it was easy to work with her. It was a lot. She was... And she could hear, you know, like, look, at this is the correlation. One of the things that we did is we took... I said, start with the first boyfriend. And what was that? Describe that breakup to me. Second boyfriend, describe that breakup. Third boyfriend, describe that breakup. And then she started to see the pattern where she initiated the breakup and then the guy said okay and then she went and got all crazy chasing him with every single guy and there was probably i don't know 11 or 12 of them oh my god over the years that poor woman yeah but we were able to you know pinpoint why she was doing it where it came from the you know all of that behavior but she was ready for the help and she was ready to rescue herself to show up for herself yep but so much of it like the situation we were talking about before we started to record you know that whole situation has the addictive quality in it it has that addict in it and that has to be gone first in both of those cases in the mother and the son yeah 
the mother needs to work an Al-Anon program, the son needs to get clean and dry. Yeah. And neither, because if that doesn't happen, that situation's not going to change. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that, uh, when you, when you, when you're working with somebody, you're trying to help somebody. That addictive, you know, we can go and help that young man, move him from place to place, take him from hospital to hospital, but until that alcohol is gone and that addictive component, the drug, and it doesn't matter what it is, relationship, you know, desire to change someone, drugs, alcohol, it doesn't matter, but that has to be gone. I've read some statistics that are based on like treatment centers and, uh, the people that get sober and stay sober for like a period of five years is like 5%. It's a small percentage. So I feel very lucky that yeah. the desire left me and that I haven't had a, you know, a drink or a drug in almost 30 years and that in SLAA it's been 10 years. Or no, I'm sorry, it's been nine years. I'm coming up on 10. So, it's a miracle when people can get sober. I dig that. But, you know, that's why AA exists. I mean, those people were, like, unfortunate. They could not stop drinking. And it's a... I don't know how it works. (laughs) But it does. It does. So, I've done a lot of different things out there. You know, sweat lodges and... You know, the Mankind Projects, Women Within, a lot of different things, and therapy, and therapy helps, it's wonderful, but you know, for me, uh, I do believe that for me, 12-step recovery was uh, really, really the tonic for it, so Well, the magic is, is that there's, you know, when you go into the rooms, you, you realize you're not alone, that you didn't invent any of this stuff, you know, for me, that's what happened with AA first, it's like, I thought I was so special. I wasn't like what I had in mind those people were like. But once I went to the rooms, I was like, you know, I was downtown and with attorneys and and accountants and CPAs and all of these other people that worked, you know, downtown in very professional set- settings. And they were just like me. They were the same kind of people as me. And it was so beneficial to me to realize like, uh, oh, okay, you know take the alcohol away I can see the similarities and I can you know get get the get the help that I needed and then in SLA the same thing you know none of the behaviors that I did did I invent you know the stuff that I did with you know the my qualifier and that that you know the desire to you know be stalking or whatever I didn't invent any of that stuff and I wanted to talk too briefly about that concept it's in the big book that when you know when Bill and Bob are talking and they've been into the hospitals and we talked about this story mm-hmm. a few months ago and mm-hmm. they've been there and and they've you know gone in and picked up some drunks and taken them home and gotten them sober and they've been through quite a few of them and they're reassessing the situation and they're saying none of these people are sticking they're all still you know they all go back out there and I don't know which one says that and which one responds, but the other one says, yeah, but we're still sober. And it, it doesn't feel like it's going to do that when we're doing it. You know, it feels like I'm supposed to help the other person stay sober. 
but that isn't the purpose you know my helping somebody else is to keep me sober it's part of my program well and that's why like in the triangle you know it's unity service and what's the other one I forget I need a chip <laughs> look it up podcasters I don't you know think? <laughs> I know himself be true I know it's yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember what the other one uh, unity service I don't know I don't know honesty or something like that probably probably willingness Right, but I know that, you know, it says unity in service. And so that service is a big deal. And when I am helping somebody, I'm out of my head. Seriously. And I always feel so much better when someone calls me and I can talk with them and help them kind of process through an issue and, and give them an action item. And for my one sponsee that I don't know what the hell to do with her, you know, I just encourage her and and what I told her today I was like you know just focus on because she's in a real negative Nelly spiral where she can't feel anything good and I was like you know for me it's law of attraction it's like if you keep focusing on the problem you're going to get more of the problem so I'm encouraging her and it's not 12-step recovery but what I'm encouraging her to do is to think about at any any small thing that she feels good about, think more about that. So if she's done one good thing that day, just think to herself, you know, I've, I've done something well. Right. I've done this one thing well. And tomorrow I might have a chance to do two things well. But you know what? I mean, it's kind of next door to 12-step reco- recovery, which is gratitude. Yes. And if you do a gratitude list, it always brings, I mean, it does for me. It brings me out of the funk you know and then I start thinking of like I you know I have a lot to be grateful for I have a place to live I have air conditioning which we need right now you know there's I have a job I have a car very nice car I have a home you know there's a lot there to be grateful for well like when you think about how you were when you first got in the rooms of AA that poor pitiful Elizabeth sitting on that front row at a 12-step meeting on the 12th step and think about where you were then and where you are now, that is an amazing amount That's, of change. And that is a huge transformation. Yes. Right, right. I was so scared and so pitiful. Yeah. All into my own self. All so, into my own problems. Right. We are self-will. You know, they talk about it a lot in the big book. You know, self-will run riot, you know. Yep. So there is hope, listeners, and just, you know, keep coming back. Take what you like and leave the rest from our podcast and from 12-step meetings. Have courage. Go into these meetings. Ask for help. Ask for help. Tell, you know, that is one of the things that every time I've gone to a meeting said I need help. In the beginning, I needed practical help. I would go in and say, I just got a letter. I'm going to be deposed tomorrow. I don't know what to do. And um, there was, you know, four attorneys in that room that said they would help me and did. And that is, you know, across the board. 12-step rooms will do that. If you go into a 12-step room and say, I need help, someone will help you. Right. But it's going to be the kind of help that you need, probably not what you want. (laughs) (laughs) Right. we know, you know. Well, I can't remember for you. I remember when you were telling me, I wanted to go out for an audition, and I knew that my last qualifier was at this audition. I'd only been like a month sober, 
And you said, it's too soon. And you said, I think that if you go to that meeting, I'm going to consider it like you're acting out and I'm not going to work with you anymore. And it was that was the kind of help that I needed. You setting a boundary was the help I needed to take my program more seriously than I was taking it. I was like thinking to myself, no, no, it'll be fine. But then I was thinking, well, what if I got cast and he was in the play? I couldn't do that. I'm still too rocky. I'm not strong enough to be able to say no if he wanted to make a move on me or something. And you know what? This shit is serious. You know, we we there are stories upon stories upon stories. The story of Clara Harris when she's in her car with her stepdaughter in the car and oh she runs God. over her husband, that kid's dad. And she, I, I think she did it she twice. She backs up and runs yes. over him again. All right. So this is the, this is the kind of emotions. There's a girl. There's a story of a, a woman in Burbank, and this is I don't know maybe ten years ago, and her boyfriend hadn't responded to her. So what does she do? She goes over to his house, climbs up on his roof, goes down the chimney. She gets stuck in the chimney. Three four days later, the housekeeper smells something and sees something dripping out of the chimney and they find her dead in the chimney this stuff is serious yeah. it will kill you yeah. women do men and women do fucking crazy shit yeah over a relationship right where they can't get their needs met and they cannot get what they want right i could you know recite jan. story about, yes jan exactly you know, she had breast cancer and they said, we're going to cut your breasts off. And she said, no, I'm not going to cut my breasts off. And in fact, I'm going to stop going to meetings and I'm going to act out mm-hmm. until I die. And she did. And she did. She didn't want to give up her boobs. She did. So that's, I mean, you got to ask for help. Yeah. It probably doesn't look like what you're going to receive is what you think it's going to be. Mm-hmm. But it, it does yeah. do the trick. Yeah. And uh, and if you're willing, and you know entirely ready, then uh, you know look it up. Look it up. There's phone meetings now. There's like so many other things, and not just our podcast, but there's tons of different podcasts out there. There are. There's Facebook pages. Um, there's you know there's websites. There's just, speaker tapes. You know there's so many things. There's that are resources out there. Out there. Google so it. More. Yeah. yeah. Google it. Find yeah. find the help that you need. Well, thank you so much, Elizabeth, thank for coming you. over and talking about yes. recovery on Sober Sisters Talk. Don't forget, if you uh, need some help, you can email us at um, SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com. You can go to our website, www.SoberSistersTalk.com. And all of our podcasts are up on our Facebook page as well, Sober Sisters Talk. And you can find us there and you can find all of our podcasts. Like and share us if you are um, able to with your anonymity. We don't want to put anybody out, but we do like it when you like and share us and get somebody else to listen to us. Thank you so much. Thank you.